We're in a series called Love Thy Neighborhood, and we're just going to jump right into the text. We're going to be in the book of Daniel today, and the conversation that I want us to have is one of significance today. What does it mean to make a difference with your life? What does it mean to truly lead a life of significance? Hold that thought for a minute, and let me just, let me just bring you up to date in case you missed it in the news uh, there's a man in the city of Cadiz, Spain. I think I'm pronouncing it right. His name uh, is Joaquin Garcia. And he is celebrating over 20 years of service uh, to, to his city working in a water treatment plant in the city of Cadiz, Spain. And he's been a supervisor there, and he's been working for 20 years, and he's preparing to retire. And so he's getting rewards, and he's getting accolades, and he's literally being presented a, you know, a framed deal in front of the city or whatever that looks like um, to, be, to be recognized for his years of service. And as the award is being prepared, it is discovered that Joaquin actually hasn't shown up for work in over six years and as they dig through the records they realize that Joaquin has been getting paid up to 14 years of unverified work at a water treatment plant as a supervisor and he never he never showed up one time never signed a document worked for a couple years decided not to show up anymore and no one noticed and he continued to get paid. And now everybody here, I hear smart from the front row. I hear sign me up over here. We're all sitting here, we're like, man, cash me in on this deal, right? How do I get a paycheck for a job that I'm not actually doing for years and then get recognized for 20 years of excellence as a supervisor in a water treatment plant? Might I also suggest that your water, um, that doesn't really bode well for the purity of the water that you're drinking, uh, just in case. I say this to say, on the surface, we laugh about it, don't we? I mean, I did. I couldn't believe it. But at the heart of the story, is actually the, the stuff of nightmares for most of us. Now, what I mean by that is there is a, there is a haunting voice, a, 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 a thing that drives us, oftentimes as Westerners, might I add, that longs to, to know that our life is making a difference. We long to know that we're making significance, that our lives matter, that we impact the people around us, that we're leaving our mark on this planet with the limited amount of years that we have, that somehow we're, we're making a difference, right? And the thought of never being noticed for over six years is problematic, is it not? That your life and what you do is so inconsequential that no one would even know if you woke up and did anything with your life. These things drive us. And we're driven to write books and we're, we're driven to start businesses and we're driven to make moves and career decisions. And we do all of these things many times driven by a, a thirst to, to make a difference and to leave a mark and to make an impact. And I would submit to you today that as we continue our series of Love Thy Neighborhood that oftentimes the things that we think 
make the most significance oftentimes make the least. Amy and I have been talking about a podcast and doing a relationship podcast, and to be honest, I'm excited about it. I've got books that I'd love to write and things I want to post and other things to pursue at times and other churches to plant and start. But if I'm not careful, and if you're not careful, the very thing, the very simple, oftentimes even intangible things that you and I can do for one another are the very things that are the most significant things you can do with your life. You want to lead a significant life? Learn to love your neighborhood and love the people who live in it. You will change the world. Don't believe me? Let's turn to the book of Daniel. I'm so glad that you are having a difficult time believing me this morning because we're going to open the Bible this morning and we're going to get into Daniel chapter 6. And as you turn there, if you're, if you're scrolling on your phone, uh, there's a book that was written recently called The 100 Most Influential Persons in History. Written uh, by the name of Michael Hart was the author of the book. And Jesus was ranked third on this list of 100 most influential persons in history, underneath Isaac Newton and underneath the prophet Muhammad. And when interviewed about his decision, it was a difficult one for him because he thought to himself, I really want to put Jesus as number one, but I can't bring myself to do it because what Jesus teaches and the inability of his followers to actually do it have left a gap that makes it difficult for me to put Jesus as number one. Because if Jesus was truly the influential leader, then his followers would be influenced by him to love, live, and lead the way he does. So, number three. He said it was a difficult decision. And this morning, as we talk about love and we talk about Influence, and we talk about significance this morning. At the end of the day, what we're talking about is really learning to follow Jesus better. And if we love like he loves, we'll turn the world upside down. Turn to Daniel 6, and I'm going to start connecting dots for you that, that are not at the, at the front of this going to make much sense. You're gonna, we're going to read a story together, but you're not going to understand maybe how it relates to what we're talking about. But I promise you we're going to get there. You guys with me? You guys ready this morning? Daniel chapter 6. Daniel, by the way, is, is one of the most influential people in all the Old Testament. People still name their children ultimately after this guy right here, Daniel. You may have heard, if you've grown up going to church, of Daniel and the lion's den. We're going to get into that this morning. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. 
Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was always faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Verse 7, they find a way to bait Daniel. They get Darius to create a law that's nonsensical, that anybody who prays to anyone other than the king is thrown into a den of lions. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. Verse 10, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. We haven't even gotten to the lion part, which is the, you know, the pinnacle of the story. The thing that everyone remembers. But the facts are in, and this is already a compelling story, that Daniel is being, well, no one can find anything bad to say about this guy. They want his job, they're jealous of his position, and so they create difficulty by getting the king to sign into law this idea that if anyone prays to anyone other than the king, that they need to die. Send them to the lions and let the lions do all the work here. Now when you look at your own life and you, look at, and you take inventory for a minute, wouldn't it be an incredible thing at the end of your life For someone to say of you that there is nothing that they can point to. That you are faithful, always responsible, and that you are unbelievably trustworthy. Wouldn't it be an unbelievable statement for someone to say, man, tell you what, if we're going to get this guy, only way we're going to do it is by coming at him. Because of how much he loves his God. He so fiercely loves God and is so devoted to loving him fiercely, radically, whatever it takes, that this is the only way we're going to be able to trip this guy up. What would be said about you and I? What would be said about the way that you and I are living our lives? Can we say the same thing? Or would it be that, you know what, golly, that guy, he loves God, but I tell you what, if we're going to bait this brother, I tell you what, there, there's a couple things we could probably get at him. You know, he's, he's angry. He, he's got a real anger problem. Loses his temper a lot. I think we could probably set him up over that. You know what, this person really has, you know, questionable relationships with the opposite sex. I tell you what, we could probably make a pretty good accusation here, and it'll probably stick. I think we can do this. Let's make it happen. Oh, this guy is, this person is so obsessed with their job and so obsessed with money and so obsessed with getting ahead and they're consumed with all of it. I'm pretty sure if we were going to make an accusation or set my man up, this is how we'd go about doing it. 
This is a snare for him. This is a snare for her. This is where they're going to trip. And you know what I'm talking about because there are things in your own heart where you find yourself bending towards. When the enemy comes to knock on your door, these are the areas that you know you have to surrender to Jesus because there are areas that are sensitive for you. That you know you could drift, find yourself in difficult territories. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager. It doesn't matter if you're 95 or 19. What do you want said about you? What kind of influence and significance do you want your life to have? Because I promise you, if you will focus on always being faithful to God, always being responsible with what God is giving you, and always being trustworthy with what he has put in your hand, you will find yourself in the same position that Daniel is in. You may not be overseeing an empire, but you will find yourself continually being given more and more and more to steward in your life. You guys with me this morning? I'm going to read verse 10 again. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. He probably had a carpet very similar to this. Opened his windows and he prayed towards Jerusalem, his his hometown. This is where he'd been kidnapped from, if you don't know the story. Babylon, where he currently is, this is not where he's from. He's not native to this part of of the world. He, He has been kidnapped at about 15 or 16 years of age. He's been brought to a city that he doesn't know, to a language he doesn't speak. And yet he's been faithful, he's been responsible, and he's been trustworthy. And consequently, he's found himself in a position now as an outsider being given the responsibility to preside over the entire empire. That is amazing. What does he do every single day? How does he cultivate these things in his life? It's the same thing that the scriptures say that he does every single day, the very thing that his enemy friends, so to speak, know that if they're going to bait him, if they're going to get him, if they're going to catch him, this is how they're going to do it. He prays every day, and he prays at the same time, in the same place, I think we got him. Daniel is faithful to pray. As I'm reading this text and I'm spending time, you know, in the Bible, just soaking, so to speak, in the scriptures, I got to tell you, I, I get convicted when I read it. Because as much as I love ministry and as much as I love I love preaching and teaching. To be really transparent with you, I I enjoy praying, but I can't say that I have this kind of faithful routine where every single day I'm on my knees seeking God's presence at three different times. I mean, I've got the praying. I mean, hear me. I got the worship song in the car. You know, I'm praying in the shower. 
I'm, I've got times with my coffee. Thank God for coffee. You know, and I, the coffee and the Bible's open and I'm praying. But how often am I really setting everything aside? And I'm going up to my room and I'm turning and shutting every single thing off. And I'm focusing on nothing but God. Nothing else is creeping in. I'm pursuing Him and I'm pursuing Him alone. This is an area that I've got to grow in. That I long to grow in more. And I began to ask myself, even preparing for this message, why do I struggle with prayer? Why do you struggle with prayer? Why is it that when the disciples who have the chance to ask Jesus anything, they say, oh my gosh, Lord, teach us to pray. (laughs) Teach us to pray. I would have been like, Jesus, I saw you raise that dude from the dead. Give me some of that. How'd you do that? What did you say? How did you do that? I want to know. I'm going to write it down like it's a spell, you know, and I'm going to roll up my scroll and be like, you know, bam, I pronounced this, the words that Jesus did. Teach us to pray because they saw something in the way that Jesus prayed that they knew they did not have. All this faithfulness, all this responsibility, all this trustworthiness comes from a life spent in God's presence. So why do we struggle to pray? I think we make an argument, church, that many times we're too busy to pray, do we not? You've got the gym. You've got kid drop-offs. You've got school. You've got homework. You've got sports. You've got projects that you're doing. You're, you're cleaning your house for life group. You're, you're, you're doing all the things that we as Americans do. And you get up in the morning and you get that shower. You, you hit snooze probably three times, right? And you, you've crept into that time. And all of a sudden, you're just, there's too many things happening. We're too busy to pray. Too busy to read the Bible. Forget three times a day. We're too busy for one time a day. And we wonder why we don't grow in depth and maturity. It's because we're not getting in the presence of God Almighty. You want to grow? You want to have influence beyond compare. Storm heaven every day. Seek after God with everything you have. You will find him. And he will reward you, not just with stuff, but more of who he is in your life. Is prayer your steering wheel? Or, as I like to say, or Corey Ten Boone likes to say, is prayer your, your, your spare tire? See, for many Christians, the very, the very weapon of our faith the very substance of our faith, the very thing that is to be guiding us and leading us is prayer. This is, we should be professionals. We should know how to pray and get in God's presence. If there's anything that things should be said about you and I, it's that man, does that guy pray? Man, does that woman pray? But oftentimes, how does prayer actually look in our life? Boom, the tire blows out, and finally, let me go, let me, let me get the spare tire out from under here. And begin to pray because prayer is really something that we save for emergencies. It's when things get really bad. It's the last-ditch effort. Well, you know what? The doctor is just, 
The doctor said this. It doesn't look like there's a whole lot of hope. You know what we really need to start doing? We need to really pray. Everybody get on the phone. Send the text thread out. Now hear me. You should be doing that. But we should be doing that way back here. Because our life is guided and led by prayer and conversation with, with Jesus and God's presence. This is what you do. This is what we are called to do. It's not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. We get to be in God's presence. This isn't a chore. This isn't a discipline per se, even though you have to grow in discipline with it. It's a privilege. It's an honor that you and I have been allowed access to the throne room of heaven. And we get to speak to God. Daniel 6.3 says that because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Now, we make the argument that we're too busy, or at least we sell that to our minds and to ourselves, right? My man Daniel prayed three times a day, and he is preparing to lead and oversee an entire empire. Do you think that my man was a little bit busy? Do you think that he had more things coming at him than you and I can probably possibly imagine? And yet we make the argument that we're too busy, and yes, we got a lot of things going on, but I would argue that we are not necessarily as busy as we are distracted. We have so many distractions coming at us, so many unnecessary things that we give time to and energy to, and none of them can compete with God's presence. None of them. And I would argue that you are not too busy to pray. You're too busy not to pray. You're too busy not to. Think of all the things you have going on in your life. I read this morning that the average American makes 35,000 decisions a day. Now, most of these are not significant. Should I eat that? No. Should I eat that? Yes. Should I eat that? No. Should I eat that? Yes. Turn left. Turn right. Go straight. Pass that person. Wear those pants. Wear this shirt, right? They're not significant decisions. But make no mistake about it, 35,000 insignificant decisions is still exhausting. It's what we like to call decision fatigue. And that's why when you come home from, from working, regardless of the husband works or the wife works or both of you work, and you look at each other and you say, well, what do you want to eat? And you say, my God, I don't care. I, can't, I don't have the capacity to make one more decision, right? So cereal it is. Captain Crunch for the win. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I make this case to you because, church, if you want to be refreshed, and you actually want to have the strength, and you want to have the capacity and the trustworthiness and the responsibility and faithfulness. It's not that you don't have time to pray. It's that you will actually have the strength to do all these other things if you would pray. If you would be filled with God's Holy Spirit and you'd get on your knees. Try once a day. And just begin to pray out your heart. Would you be filled with God's strength? Would you be filled with His peace? Would you be filled with His wisdom? Would your life be significantly different, and would your life therefore have significant difference? I think it would.
The other reason that we struggle with prayer is that we want immediate results. I can be in a drive through line. I'm not saying I do this often because, you know, I'm worried about my physique. You know, I don't eat fast food. But when I do, I mean, if that line isn't moving fast and I'm sitting in that line, it's like, what, what is this outrage? What is going on here, Chick-fil-A? You know, there's some, you know, spirit of darkness that is just resisting this place of employment that I don't have a chicken sandwich in my hand within five minutes. This is outrageous. Or that my phone would have a difficult time relaying a message to outer space to beam it to somebody else's phone and then get a message back to me. What is this? What world do I live in? where I can't send a message at the speed of light to outer space and get a message back. Satan, you know, like, come on. We want things and we want it now. And prayer is one of those things, church, where you may not see results the way you want. You may not ever see the fruit of what you're praying for. You may never see it, but that doesn't mean that what you're praying isn't changing the world. It doesn't mean that what you're doing isn't isn't making an eternal difference. How many people are here because of prayers you don't even know were prayed for you? Grandmas and grandpas praying for you. Moms and dads praying for you, and you will never know, and you'd have no ability to even thank them. Great-grandparents, people you never even met in your family line who prayed it on down the line, who walked in faithfulness. Most people miss, if you read your children's Bible, you don't get the fact that Daniel in this story, he's 80 years old when he's thrown into the lion's den. He's not 25. He's not some young, strong, you know, just ripped brother who's holding a lion's mouth shut. He's not doing that. He's 80 years old. He's older. Older, not old. Wouldn't insult anybody here. He's older. It's old-ish. Okay? He's 80. And at 16 years of age, 15, 16, he's kidnapped and he's taken into captivity. And the Bible teaches us that Daniel, the thing that he was known for more than anything else, was that he was faithful to pray. And you know what a guy that's been kidnapped and brought out of captivity or into captivity is probably praying a little bit about? He's probably praying about freedom. He's probably praying about deliverance for 60 years. This is what he's doing. And even in Daniel chapter, where are we at? Um, Chapter 9, 17 through 19. Daniel, who's been praying for 60 some odd years. These are the kinds of prayers he's still praying. Oh God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead. For your own sake, Lord, smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Speaking about Jerusalem. Oh my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, it lies in ruins. 
We make this plea not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Oh, Lord, listen. Oh, Lord, act for your own sake. Do not delay, oh, my God, for your people in your city. Bear your name. Do you hear the desperation in an 80-year-old's voice who's been praying for 60 years? And he hasn't seen the fruit of it. He is still in captivity. Jerusalem is still in ruins. And guess what begins to happen at the end of his lifetime? The books of Ezra and Nehemiah. It's these rulers, Darius, Cyrus, who open up the door for the first wave of exiles to return from Babylon. And Daniel will never get the credit for being someone who was on his knees three times a day praying for his neighborhood, praying for his people, praying for God to do something. God, in your mercy, forgive. God, in your grace, restore. God, in your power, heal. God, in your infinite wisdom, draw to salvation. God, open eyes. God, open doors. God, move. God, move. God, would you move? Why don't we pray? Because our faith has suffered injury. I mentioned that Daniel's about 15 years old when he's brought into more or less slavery. Get a higher end version of it. But many of us, again, if you, if you grew up going to church or if this is your first time, this may be new information for you, but Daniel is related to King David. He's in the royal line. He's in the, the royal house. His lineage is royal lineage. And so as was customary uh, at the time when you had a, a conquering nation won and was victorious, you would take people into exile. But one of the things that you would do is that you would take the royal line with you. You might take a few men, a few women, which is what happened with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and his friends. These people are all in the royal house related to King David. And most theologians believe Daniel had no family, had no children. And the reason that that is the case is because most of the time a conquering nation would take these people, bring them back on their side of town, so to speak, and then would castrate the men. To eliminate the king's ability to have a line continue forth. Fifteen, sixteen years old. This is your life. Now, nobody here has experienced that. But I promise you there are things that you have experienced that have made it hard at times for you to want to pray. You lost somebody. You lost a mom. You lost a dad. You've got hurts in your heart. Maybe church hurts in your heart. 
things that have that you look at God and you say, God, you could have done that differently. You could have done this differently for me. If you were so good, then why dot, dot, dot? And yet, what is it that Daniel chooses to do in his affliction and in his pain and in his great difficulty? Even if, even if all those other things weren't true, he still has been kidnapped, separated from family, and brought to another nation. But rather than becoming bitter, rather than becoming separated, he chooses to pursue God. He chooses to get on his knees. He chooses to pray every single day and give it to God. To seek him and his presence. God rewards him for it. Listen to what is said about Daniel. Verse 16. The king, by the way, who loves Daniel is distraught when he discovers that Daniel has been praying and that he has no other choice but to throw him in the lion's den. Verse 16. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, Make, may your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. Daniel 6, 19 through 20, very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. And when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully? able to rescue you from the lions. Daniel answered, verse 21, Long live the king. May God send his angel to, my God set his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. This story is not about lions. It is about faithfulness. It is about a faithful God and a faithful servant. And it just so happens to have lions in it. But make no mistake about it. Daniel, even in his point, I mean his lowest point, he's in a pit with lions. Prepared to die. And when the king comes to check on him, Oh, Daniel, has the God whom you've served so faithfully rescued you? And Daniel's first response isn't anger. It isn't self-righteousness. It isn't bitterness. It's long live the king. Long live you who, by the way, has perpetrated the greatest offense against my life. But because I honor God, I choose to honor the people that he has put in my life. Long live the king. Yes, I am innocent, and God has vindicated me, which is why he has shut the lion's mouth. But you need to know something, your majesty. Even in this moment, I have never wronged you. There is a reason Daniel can be said that he is faithful, that he is responsible, and that he is trustworthy, and that those were cultivated over a life of prayer. And you can see why this man is given the keys to an empire. Daniel chose to pray when he was busy. He chose to pray when he didn't see results. He chose to pray even when it was painful, and God produced in him the kind of character that influences nations. 
You want to make a significant impact? Faithfulness in prayer is the greatest gift you can give God or the people around you. Learn to pray. Set an alarm if it's that hard. Set one three times a day even. Nine, twelve, three. Learn to pray. Remind yourself to pray. Seek God's presence and pray. Shut everything down. Turn Netflix off. Amazon Prime, kick it, kick it to the curb. Turn your TV off. Put your phone on airplane mode. Bring your kids with you. Or send them to the basement. One or the other. And get time praying. Get up early in the morning and pray. Go to bed at night praying. Seek God and pray. And he will reward you with his presence. And this is how the story ends in verse 26. The king issues a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Want to change your city? Want to see your neighborhood become something different? Want your life to have significance? People around you, learn to pray. They may not even know it. They may never thank you. They never come, may never come back to you and look to you and shake your hand, but I'm telling you, in God's kingdom, we walk by faith and not by sight. And if you want to make the kind of impact that Jesus Christ makes and the kind of impact he, he gives you and I the opportunity to make, then walk by faith and not by sight. Pray and seek the God who has the power to actually move mountains, to heal, to restore, to change. He is the God of the impossible. That's who he is. Seek him together. Stand to your feet. I ask you to do something this morning. Just open your hands like this, right where you're at. This is what you'd do if you were receiving something, right? Someone's going to give you something or hand you something. You'd typically have your hand like this. I want to pray for us to experience more of God's presence, not only today, but in the weeks and months to come. And I'm asking you to literally, literally have a posture of receiving from God today. Lord, in this place, in this church today, where we choose to learn from Daniel, God, who reminds us of Jesus, who points us to Christ, he who suffered on our behalf, suffered that we might have uh, another kingdom, the opportunity to know you. It was Jesus who prayed on our behalf. It's Daniel who has prayed on our behalf, Lord, and we are humble servants today. 
we receive your presence this morning. Lord, where we've been resistant to speak with you or pray and talk to you, we put it aside right now. We thank you that you're good. We thank you that you're gracious and kind. Lord, where we've been too busy to acknowledge you, Lord, we ask forgiveness today. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, we choose to follow you and pursue you with all of our heart and our soul and mind and strength today. Lord, where we've quit, we've given up asking of you. Lord, grant us strength. Give us perseverance today. love you and we worship you and today we choose to pray.